Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is April 9th. It is 12.27 p.m. Griff, how was your week before we jump into the market check here? Just living life, brother. How was yours? It was pretty dang good. We got a lot of good stuff done. Got some projects kicked out. Got some numbers in. Got some uh, some proposals sent. It was a good week. We got some good stuff done. Got some... uh, some other newer projects moving in the right direction. So it was a good week here. Um, man, a lot of, a lot of big stuff happened actually this week um, with, with the Bitcoin conference. that's still going on right now in Miami. There's been some big, uh, big announcements, uh, namely from Jack Mallage with strike, right. Partnering with, I think it was with Shopify, NCR and Blackhawk, um, which all partnered together to be e-commerce, um, the physical hardware for the point of sale systems that are used in, you know, brick and mortar, uh, retail shops, restaurants, you know, businesses, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, dude, that's, that's huge. I mean, that's huge as far as just growing the network, right? I mean, that's, that's a huge piece. Yeah, I know. It's so interesting because everybody has like, we all, if you're a Bitcoiner or even just a crypto enthusiast, to be quite honest with you, you don't have to be a Bitcoiner to have an opinion. Um, everybody's like store value, medium of exchange, unit of account, you know, we all like basically are debating what we think is going to get triggered first. That was pretty big news for, I guess you would say like the medium of exchange part, but it still is like, you know, for me, like I look at that and I go, you know, that's great, but, but I'm not giving up my Bitcoin for some McDonald's. Like I'm just not like, not, not <laughs> yet at least, you know what I'm not saying? Yet, like, yeah. Not until it like makes uh, sense, but it is really cool. And I think the coolest part is, is that everything that happens on Bitcoin is kind of like when the internet first started, you know, everything that's built on the internet is the internet isn't charge them really a fee. Like the internet, you're building onto the internet for free, essentially like Twitter gets built onto the internet. Right. And so what Jack Mahler's is doing is obviously pretty cool because we Bitcoin as like just the internet of money, that would mean that you'd be able to build on it right for free and build cool things like what strike is doing. So yeah, obviously hats off to him. He's like, I think I tweeted on our account him for precedent. Cause like, dude, that's like one of the more altruistic things I think I've seen done in my lifetime. When you think about bringing Bitcoin, basically if you're already been on, if you've already been on strike, you already know, uh, it's free. The fees are zero dollars. Yeah. Where there, if if I'm paying something I, and they're making a lot of money, then it's got to be by high volume because I ain't see I it ain't coming out of mine. You know, like you use Venmo, yeah. you see pretty quickly. Like, oh, I lost money. Strike, yeah. no. And they're bringing that technology basically, you know, for free to everybody else. It's pretty amazing. I think what happened in that announcement. Yeah. So hopefully that actually happens. Like, you know, hopefully I pulled my McDonald's in a few months and they're like. Bitcoin or cash? And I'm like, just cash, you know. <laughs> I'm not giving you my sats yet, brother, but. Uh, For sure. Yeah, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see over the next several months how they actually roll out the implementation of it. I, I don't, I, I've just read a few articles and um, read some basic stuff. So it, it doesn't look like they've rolled out some plan of how they're going to implement everything. Um, but, but I'm sure that I'm sure that they're working on the plan. I'm sure that things are in the works. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next, uh, several months as that, uh, as that develops here. But before we get too much further into that, cause we will have to finish that conversation here pretty quick. Let's, uh, let's jump into the market check. 
Um, Griff, what, uh, what are your thoughts here on, you know, we've got Bitcoin day in Miami going on right now. And, um, and this is what we're looking at here as far as Bitcoin for the last week, dude, we're down, we're down to like the, the mid 42,000 number right now, $42,529. What do you well, think here? On this one Bitcoin is still one Bitcoin. Mm. Uh, and that's a really good, that's really good. And you know, I've actually started orange pilling some doctors of mine and my basis is I'm like, and we, it seems to get to this part of the conversation pretty quick. You're just like, yeah, but one Bitcoin is always going to be one Bitcoin. Like that's the first thing people think of when they see these highly inflationary times, like, uh, just gas prices or whatever you're buying, right? One Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. So you have to think, how is that going to play into society? Well, if you understand Bitcoin enough, it can be broken down into billions, like billions. So we're doing pretty well. It's these things called Satoshis. Um, also, traditionally, like we're just talking about the short-term price of Bitcoin, pretty certain that it traditionally dumps during Bitcoin conference week. I don't really know why. I've just heard that and seen that. And over the last... I bought Bitcoin 2020, so 2020 conference, 2021, now 2022. Yeah, it dumps every time during the conference. So, like, I don't know, like, whatever for that reason may be, like, who knows. But, you know, people expect a lot, Nick. You know what I'm saying? Like, people expect Bitcoin to just jump up to 100,000. And it will probably, you know, at some point in time. But you just, you can't be in it for that. Or else it's going to be a struggle for you because you're always going to be waiting for it. And... Yeah, that's Bitcoin's yeah. a long term investment, guys. If you are investing in it, if you're trying to play the volatility of Bitcoin and win some cash in the short term, I mean, I salute you. But I would take that action on over to the shitcoin casino and I would, you know, put your long term money in Bitcoin because the long term play is fantastic as an asymmetric opportunity and so many different things. But you know, I mean, like people get so excited. Oh, Bitcoin conference. Bitcoin must be like going to 100,000 and then it doesn't. And people are like, yeah, I'm just going to pull out. I don't know. They're idiots. So they don't they don't hang around long enough to just see, uh, I guess, why one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, you know, so it is what it is. 100 percent. So, Griff, I am actually juiced today to take you through what I've got prepared here. So guys, for you guys that are listening, watching, wherever you're watching, listening, wherever you're listening, Griff, I don't know if you know this or not right now, but we're live on Twitter. We're live on Twitter right now. We are live. So if you're listening, watching right now, live, appreciate you guys hopping on here with us. So typically when we prepare for, for our episode, you know, we, uh, obviously we've got some level of current events you know what's going on here let's talk about some of these things that have happened some of those things that have happened well this week griff griff i don't know if you got any idea what we're we're about to jump into here um we've talked a little bit about some stuff here but i'm excited to show you about what we've got here so before before we get into it i, I want to lay a foundation here of uh again the core value of bitcoin you know before before we get uh too far into the hypotheticals, we've got to look at what are the core foundational values of Bitcoin. And I think one of the main ones is that it's a fixed supply, right? It's a limited supply. Economically, it's we're talking about absolute true scarcity, right? 21 million, that's it. There, it, it is The supply is inelastic, meaning, right? This is a huge piece. If, if somebody wanted to go produce more Bitcoin because it, it, it costs more, well, they just got to jump right in line. 
it, it's going to take about 10 minutes, just like the next minor, right? Every, it's, it's 10 minutes. There's a difficulty adjustment. You got to have, it's, it's not, it's not uh, a matter of somebody having monopoly on the production and the creation of Bitcoin, right? It's, it's decentralized. There's a, a decentralized protocol that every miner's got to follow, right? And, and, and that is so important, right? The supply inelasticity, um, it, it's so important. And I think that, that the, the fixed supply, the, the true scarcity, right, is what brings the value to Bitcoin. If, if anything, for example, right, gold, dollars, Bitcoin, if all of it was unlimited, if there's unlimited amounts of it, it probably wouldn't be worth a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and so the true value of Bitcoin and anything else that's a, you know, let's let's just think about monetary goods at this point. Any other monetary good that is completely limited, absolutely limited, absolutely scarce. Bitcoin's the only one. But for example, right, um, any other monetary good that is not absolutely scarce does not have as much value as something that does. Right. So. I think that we can agree that that's that's uh, one of the foundational values, right? Is the fixed supply of Bitcoin. What are your thoughts there on that piece, Griff? You're, I mean, it definitely is one. I mean, you'd have that. This will be a really interesting segment at some point in time for uh, a bunch of people to jump in and go, "What are like the top five key characteristics of Bitcoin? And, like what it is?" Uh, but yeah, it being a fixed supply is, I think, without a doubt, one of its biggest, if not its biggest attribute but bitcoin as like the incentives program to me is uh, that's why it's the greatest monetary network there will ever be because it just so seems that we that the bitcoin network might have incentives correct you know and if that's the case it will never really be broken most of the problem with our society today is you know it's a game and some people are way better at playing the game than others you know and in bitcoin you you can't really cheat the game, can't really cheat the work. So it's more about the world becoming proof of work, literally, instead of who you know, it's what you know. And that's kind of what Bitcoin is turning the world into. And I think that's a better world to live in, uh, yeah. especially for young people. Like we've gotten so far away from actually doing good, you know, and like carrying on for the next generation. And in a Bitcoin world, cheating the work is only going to end kind of end end up probably costing you more than it's going to help you um and just knowing somebody isn't going to really do it for you anymore you're going to actually have to know what you're going to have to have a skill you're going to have to bring something to the table to get some of this bitcoin because at the end of the day sound money like you said fixed money there's only 21 million there's only 2.1 quadrillion satoshis out there probably less than that people lose them whatever people aren't just going to shill them out for nothing not to yeah. mention absolute scarcity, the world becoming deflationary, those types of things. But I'm just saying on like a principal level, that incentives program and the way proof of work works is just it's pretty amazing, really, how it can really change the world because you're fixing the money. So I'd say those two things. But, yeah, it being fixed by, you know, I mean, it's huge. Beautiful. So uh, with that thought in mind, right, let's look uh, let's let's kind of look into the future a little bit. You know, we just talked about Jack Mallers with Strike and and his and their partnership with a couple of these major players with the point of sale systems with brick and mortar businesses as well as e-commerce businesses. As we move further into the future and adoption continues to increase, there is going to be 
more and more and more and more people, businesses, entities, whatever, whatever it may be, governments trying to acquire their share of, of a fixed asset, right? Of a fixed supply. That's obviously going to shoot, shoot supply or going to shoot the value of it up, right? Because as demand increases with a static supply, it's going to shoot the, the, the price, right? The value of it up. Um, I got to imagine, obviously the larger institutional players, um, they're they're gonna they're gonna want to buy as much as they can, right? They're they're gonna be buying in the hundreds of millions. But now think about these the the true whales, the true whales, the people that own everything, all these governments. Look at all these governments, right? Look at the United States, the um, the the European countries, Russia, China, all these all these huge entities, right? And they 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 don't they don't just own everything, but they've got the power to create the the current the current money that we've got today, right? Certainly, yeah. Who, who's to say that they wouldn't just print a bunch of money, right, and just go buy a ton of Bitcoin? Go buy a ton of Bitcoin. Let's print let's print a hundred billion dollars, a hundred trillion dollars, whatever the number is, and we're going to go buy as much Bitcoin as we can. Okay, great. You you can do that, right? We're we're seeing this with Terra right now, right? With uh, is it UST? Tether, right? Yeah. No, it's uh, not. they're they're buying Tether. they're buying what like three hundred percent. They're buying over and above what is being produced every single day, and 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 what that will do over time, right? Is is if I got something, Griff, that you want, but I don't want to give it to you, then then you're just going to keep upping the price. Oh, well, I'll pay I'll pay five bucks. I'll pay ten bucks. I'll pay fifteen bucks. I'll pay thirty bucks. Right. And, and, and that number just has to go up until I say, mm, okay, I'll give it to you, right? That's kind of how it works in a nutshell. So my, my question here and in, in how I'm thinking about this is, you know, you and I, thank God, and, and all the other Bitcoiners out there, the people that are, that are buying Bitcoin right now, ideally on a, on a dollar cost average schedule, I think you'd, you'd maybe posted something about that earlier in the week, but hopefully uh you guys are buying on a dollar cost average schedule but everybody that is doing that right now we're doing this a because we believe in the technology and what it can create into the future and because we get to benefit unproportionally buying now versus later right we can buy more bitcoin with our do- with our dollars today than we can you know, five years into the future, right? Or so we believe, right? That the future is a future. We don't know exactly what it's going to believe, but if things continue to play out the way that we believe that they will, I got to imagine that $1 is going to buy less Bitcoin in the future than it is today, right? So that being said, the main question I want to think about here today, Griff, is to what extent will the U.S. government go to get your Bitcoin? That's a good question. A, a big extent, but... As I, I see where Nick is taking this, uh, I'll just let you keep running into it because they've already done it in the past when we've had a more sound form of money than fiat. But to what extent will they go to get your Bitcoin? Hey, in my opinion, they're going to try to get you to sell it for McDonald's. You know, I'm not saying like Strike is trying to do that necessarily, but I think these big players know where the real money is. So would you rather have Bitcoin or fiat? They'd rather have Bitcoin. And I think governments, like you're alluding to, they would rather have this sound form of money as well. So the ways that they're going to go about it, 
I mean, executive orders, you know, like they've done in the past. It'll be a lot harder with Bitcoin, but they're going to try because, you know, our government feels like they provide a, an invaluable service to their people. And we're kind of seeing, well, no, you guys really don't. And you're really inefficient and you're really slow. And you're really wasteful and you're you make everything political and it's really causing a lot of harm to people's lives. And you know what? Before Bitcoin, they could get away with a lot of that because they can hide their money. You know, BlackRock can own 17% of CNN, but it can be hidden because it's on their records. Not so fast with Bitcoin. Like, it's going to be pretty in the open. But I think they'll go to crazy extents, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I think at one point, you know, money printer is going to go burr because they're going to go try to buy all the Bitcoin possible. In you know, in essence, kind of try to screw miners out of all of their Bitcoin. Just like, oh, you here's a hundred million dollars, you know, like whatever money they can throw at them uh, until it's worthless. Because at the end of the day, the dollar is worthless. Um, the only worth it has is that people are still accepting it. But you know, time's gonna tell, Nick. How long until people stop accepting it? Russia doesn't seem to like it very much. China doesn't seem to like us very much. Other countries don't seem to like what we've been doing for the last fifty years. Seems like we're the only ones that are truly benefiting from this monetary standard. You know, what are they gonna do? What is the United States gonna do to try to get ahead of the melting fiat? Once they realize they're screwed, if they don't already realize it, if they're not already confiscating it in certain ways to amass a certain amount at this price level. Fuck. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I don't know. A lot. They're going to do a lot. Yeah. So, who, you know, who, who knows? Who knows what they could do now? Right. Because you, you, if you think about, man, with with the Internet. As developed as it is today, dude, it's really tough to just hide stuff. You know, I mean. I think I was talking with uh, with one of the guys that I work with the other day about um, you. You look in history, right? And it was, it was probably really easy to hide stuff, right? Because there wasn't everything wasn't instant. We didn't have instant connectivity all around the world, right? And and it seems to be that the further the further along we are in a technologically developed world, the further we get into that world the more things are just instant, right? You can't just hide stuff. You can't just do something and just, oh, it didn't happen. You know, it's right. somebody caught it. It seems to be caught somewhere. Somebody caught it on video or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, especially on such a large level, like, you know, what's happening in, in Russia and or in Ukraine with Russia, right? Like all the horrible things that are happening over there right now, uh, you can't just hide it. There's too much connectivity. There's too many phones. There's too many cameras. There's too, there's too much. Right. I say that I, 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 I see what you're saying. It. You can manipulate it. You can manipulate it. Agre- absolutely agreed. Right. You, you can spin hide, narrative. You can manipulate, I guess. Yeah, for sure. You can spin that for sure. So, and, and I, I say this to say, who knows how they're going to react to it, right? Because you can't take certain measures today that you could maybe in the past, right? Because because of the flow of information. So, Griff, what I want to pull up here, um, you know, maybe some of you guys on Twitter have uh, have seen this posted on Twitter here recently, and I have seen it, uh, but it is an executive order that was issued April 15th, 1933, um, and this was signed by none other than uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt here, FDR. 
And uh, this was an executive order that banned the legal ownership of gold, right? Now it talks about gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates, right? But this this banned gold ownership. And uh, and I, I I got into the actual executive order here and read some well, of this I stuff. Just I just highlighted it up for you. Before you dive in, because this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you got? How nuts is that? Like, how nuts is it that at one point in America, they were like, it's illegal to own gold and give it to our Federal Reserve Bank? Like, I know people back then probably fought it or some people hit whatever they did. How crazy is that? I mean, isn't it kind of like pretty much similarly crazy to, hey, everybody, you have to wear a mask. Hey, everybody, you have to get vaccinated against this virus that we don't really know anything about. I mean, that's not even conspiracy theory anymore. It's just proven. So I'm just saying, like, you just reading that right now, I'm just like, I couldn't. I I mean, I could see it with Bitcoin coming. It's illegal to own Bitcoin. And a lot of these people who are really afraid, you know, they don't understand Bitcoin and as well as don't know how to self-custody it right now. They'll, you know, they'll be like, oh, here, I don't want to go to, to jail, like whatever. Imprisonment for 10 years, $10,000 fine. I mean, but it was, and that's gold, you know, the government could, that's, here's a good point before you dive into it. You can always find more gold. You can go mine more. You can go get more. You can create more of that asset class, right? So the government was seizing something that technically they could go find a way to go get some of it themselves. Instead, it was easier for them to just take it from the people. With Bitcoin, there's only 21 million, like we were just saying. So what ends are they going to go to go get a digital gold that they can't, you know, they can't just happen to go find more to mine. The only way that they can get it is to get it from you. Absolutely. I just think it's nuts. So so check this sucker out here. And it's it's very clear about what's going on. So. Let's just zoom in here, uh, and I'm just going to start reading this sucker here. I also, before I do that, I don't know what executive order number exactly this is. I think it's, I think it's like sixty-one something, six thousand one hundred something. I, I don't know. So, but you can find it out there if you Google, uh, you know, FDR executive order gold's illegal or something. You, you can find it. So. This says an act to provide relief in the existing national emergency in banking and for other purposes. So uh, I've not done research on what's happened prior to this point um, to see exactly where we've where we've come from to get to this point. But I have done a little bit more research on the back end as far as the ripple effect this created. So uh, at some point we might dive into what actually led the United States into this position. But for now, we're not going to get into that. Next piece here. I uh, it, th- so this act do hereby prohibit the hoarding of gold coin, gold bullion, and gold certificates within the continental United States by individuals, partnerships, associations, and corporations, and hereby prescribe the following regulations for carrying out the purposes of this order. So it is hereby prohibited to hoard gold coin. So it starts off with a couple of definitions here. So hoarding means the withdrawal and withholding of gold. We'll just say gold from the recognized and customary channels of trade. So as long as you're holding gold out of trade, if you're just keeping it in, you know, underneath your bed or in a safe, uh, that's illegal. Right. And then, and then it calls person, you know, an individual partnership, yada, yada. So in section two here, this is the major piece. 
This is the, the major directive of this executive order here. So listen to this. Um, and, and you can read through all this stuff exactly if you want, but I'm just going to read it uh, how I highlighted it here. Section two, all persons are hereby required to deliver to a Federal Reserve Bank all gold now owned by them or coming into their ownership before April 28th, 1933. How about that, Griff? How about that? So obviously it's going to say accept the following here, and we're going to get into this, but right out of the gates, required to deliver to to a Federal Reserve Bank all gold owned by them or coming into their ownership on or before April 28th, 1933. Now, this thing was uh, issued, what, April 5th. So you got until, it's April 5th, and you got till April tw- uh, 28th. You got 23 days to get all your shit sent to the Fed, man. How crazy is that? So let's let's keep moving through this sucker. So it says, accept the following. So you have to do all those things except for these four examples. Uh, basically, if it's used uh, in industry or for a profession or art uh, within a reasonable time. Okay, so if it's used within the industry uh, somehow or another to create something, you know, in some industrial process. Okay, or if it's used within your profession or for art within a reasonable time. Okay, all right. So you don't have to adhere to these rules if if that is if that is the case. Uh, part B here says, um, and if it's an amount not exceeding hundred dollars, so if it's less than hundred dollars. Or if it's uh, of some special value or if it's a rare coin, right, um, that's that's the, the second piece. If it's under $100 or if it's some rare type of coin. Um, part C says if, uh, if you're a foreign government, foreign central bank, or foreign bank for international settlements, then you also do not have to turn in your gold. And the last piece here is that it says the gold coin and gold and and bullion licensed for other proper transactions. So it does not talk about what other proper transactions are, um, but those are the four things. If you if you if you are using or holding gold for these four things, um, then then you, you then you were not affected by this. But I would imagine that most people that held gold were probably just holding gold as a store of value, right? So tons and tons and tons of people. I don't have the exact numbers on how many people turned in gold, but I mean, it was tons and tons of people, probably millions of people that turned in gold. Griff, well, did, uh, did you have something to say there? No, I was just saying they probably were using gold as a savings account, right? Instead of holding dollars because it was still pretty foreign to them at that time to be like, I'm just going to hold the U.S. dollar not backed by any. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Because what led up to this was what the Great Depression, World War One. Yeah, World War One and the Great Depression. Yeah, kind of leads us into this situation for sure. So the government's like, oh, I have to go get all the sound money possible and hold on to it. But it's not about you guys, you know. Like, I'm trying to think because you know, obviously, like the sell here at that time to the people would have been. You know, we were just in this war. We just protected you. You know, we just did our job as the government. Uh, but now we need money because otherwise we're going to kind of be screwed. You don't have any more money. Um, but shouldn't there be maybe a tax? Maybe you go about it that way. You know, I mean, you are in the jurisdiction, so I understand the point. But that's just crazy. 
So basically anybody using it as a savings account, like how I'm using Bitcoin right now, I hold it as a savings account. I put all of my savings money into a Bitcoin wallet because it's a better form of money and I'd rather save that than save dollars if I'm going to save them in the liquidity. It really is. Uh, it, it's it's pretty wild um, to think about. This is a savings technology, right? Gold at this time is the hardest form of money. This is a savings technology. And the government says, hey, uh, uh-uh. T- turn this in. You guys, you guys can't hold this anymore. Uh, this is this is ours, right? My mic. That's absurd, out? huh? Is my mic bugging out? Uh, no. Oh. Yeah, it's crazy. So let's uh, let's jump back into this sucker here. So section three here starts. Any person becoming the owner of any gold shall within three days after receipt thereof deliver same in the manner prescribed in section two. So um, this piece just kind of adds on like at any time in the future, if you become the owner of gold, you have to within three days of the receipt thereof do these things. Right. It refers to, you know, deliver same in the manner prescribed in Section two. So in Section two, again, it says required to deliver to a federal bank, Federal Reserve Bank, all gold. Right. OK, so that's Section three. Section four here is where where we kind of get into some interesting stuff. So um, upon receipt right for the gold, I put my note there, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank will pay an equivalent amount of currency. Um, which we now know that that equivalent amount was $20.67 per ounce. Okay, so they paid they paid Americans $20.67 per ounce of gold that they had turned in. Okay, Section 5 says banks shall deliver all gold uh, to the Federal Reserve Banks and receive credit or payment therefore, right? And this, this at this point starts to get into a little bit more of the logistics but I really want to use these next couple of sections to, to show how interconnected and intertwined this whole system is, right? So, Because there's the Federal Reserve Banks. I believe there's 12 Federal Reserve Banks within the United States. But then there's also like associated banks and associated partner banks. And they're like, they're all kind of connected, but they're not connected. They're different entities, but they're all kind of connected to the same entity. So I want to use these next couple of sections to kind of illustrate that. So member banks shall deliver all gold, as well as gold bullion, gold certificates, um, received by them. Uh, they've got to they've got to send that to the Federal Reserve banks, and they will receive credit or payment for that amount of gold that they deliver. Right. Section six says the Secretary of the Treasury will. Pay the reasonable cost of transfer transportation for all of this gold that's got to be moved, right? Including the cost of insurance protection and other incidental costs. Which Griff, I got we got to pause here, right? Uh, to move this gold, he's going to pay for transportation. Okay, there's one. He's going to pay for um, the cost of insuring that gold that's being moved. He's going to co- pay for the cost of protection, right? Let's say you got a couple of dudes with guns, right, that are moving stuff around. And any incidental costs, whatever incidental costs may be. Um, let's think about that for a second, because when you think about Bitcoin versus gold, we're talking about four different things that the secretary, the, the, the secretary of the Treasury is going to pay um, in order to move this gold. 
how much does it cost to move, I don't know, call it, uh, you know, a trillion dollars worth of Bitcoin on the network? How much does that cost, do you think? instantaneously wow. uh, well, let's talk about the lightning network right let's that's not true let's talk about the night the lightning network right is one you can do that with strike um uh well i say strike let's just say the night the lightning network lightning network I that, potentially i know the lightning network is still kind of small right you can't just move any amount of money i know that that, that some of that stuff is still being developed but Almost instantaneously, if you're on the layer one technology, layer one protocol of Bitcoin, you know, it's 10 minutes or so to get a verification. Um, You are going to pay some fees for that, but it's going to be it's got it's got to be significantly less. Right. I'd be curious if any listeners know what these numbers are. That would be great to know. There's been a billion dollar transaction, I know, for like a dollar fee. There you go. Right. I'm pretty you can check me on that, but I'm pretty sure I've seen that come across some on-chain stuff before where it yeah. was a billion for like a few dollars, maybe that's a huge point. Michael Saylor makes a lot of the time is sure. the fact that you can move it for nothing because it's like, Oh, you have this great big mansion. Well, government can seize a mansion, <laughs> you know, like yeah. government can really mess that up. Government can't really mess up just transferring some Bitcoin. You know, if you just want to move across the world, you know, most for of the sure. problem is it's tough to get your shit over there. Now all of your value can just be stored digitally in a scarce asset that's pretty crazy so let's keep this uh let's keep this sucker moving so that is that is a pretty interesting section there section six we're going to pay for insurance protection and other incidental costs for the within the transportation system here so then section seven says in cases where the delivery of gold will involve extraordinary hardship so this one talks about you can you can extend the date if you need to I don't really want to dive into this one. It's like you need to extend the date that you got to get this turned in because it's going to be really difficult to do it. Then you can do that. Okay, so that's section you seven. A couple extra weeks to get your wagon down. Yeah, to the bank. yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but don't worry, you're still fucking coming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so then section seven says um, the secretary of the treasury is authorized and empowered to issue such further regulations, including licenses, permitting, uh, permitting the Federal Reserve banks and member banks. Uh, to deliver, earmark, or hold in trust gold. So um, this one's basically saying that uh, the Secretary of the Treasury has has the authority and has been empowered to uh, to put further regulation in place to implement these things. So Section Nine here, and the last one is uh, is the fun one, right? Whoever whoever willingly violates any provision of this executive order may be fined not more than $10,000, so up to $10,000 you can get fined. Or if a natural person may be imprisoned for not more than 10 years or both. So if you violate this, we can fine you up to $10,000, A. We can send you to to prison for up to 10 years. And if, and if we really don't like you, we're going to get you both of them. You got to pay us and you're going to prison. And that's signed by Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR, April 5th, 1933. What do you think? What do you think about that? I mean, just just breaking that down kind of real quick there. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that deal? Dude, that's crazy. In 1933, they said it's illegal to own gold. What? Yeah, I don't know. What are I we just, talking about? 
I mean, that doesn't I, even sound like something that the government can do. I think it makes it because, you know, with a lot of the masking stuff that has happened over the last uh, couple years with COVID. Yep. And this isn't me being anti-COVID or whatever for, for everybody here. It's okay. You can uh, be anti-COVID. I'm, I all, I'm all jabbed yeah. up. I got them all. Uh, not saying that it's something I really wanted to do, but it's something that I did. Um, and then there's masks, right? And now we've come two years later and masks don't make any sense, but you still see people wearing them. And I would say mostly because the government has created a lot of fear around COVID. Like, you know, just something people don't understand. It's pretty crazy to see. Like, it's just changed my time preference because I always think I'm like, man, how do we come this far where all these people are just listening to what the government says just because they said it? You know, based on how many people actually turned in their gold on this executive order, I guess, like, it's been going on for a lot longer than we think. So I guess people are more manipulatable than we'd care to think because it's been going on for a long time. So where are we really at now is what I'm thinking. Like, how much, how, how far can the government push shit? You know, that's kind of, that's what I'm thinking. Like when I look at that, because dude, you're in America, so, like 1933, like we're even further removed from our most patriotic days, but this is free, you know, like that's your money. You're just going to give it up, you know? So I don't know what the turn in rate was there. Like, I don't really know what was the yeah. actual effect of that, because I feel like if an executive order came out today that said, you know, turn in all your Bitcoin, everybody would be like, <laughs> like, I mean, everybody laughs at Joe Biden and including other foreign countries. So like, I'm assuming it wouldn't be the same now, but at the same time, you're like, I don't know. You're like, you don't know if people really turned in their gold. What are we doing? Like, I don't, like, I don't know. Like I think it's crazy, but people probably did. It's uh, it's wild, man, to think about this stuff. Cause it's like, you know, gold at this time was the reserve. It, it you know, I, I would say that for, a lot of people, it still is a reserve store of value type asset, right? I mean, for tons of people, they, they still hold gold as a store of value, right? Um, it's yeah. crazy to think about this. And you and you did mention a second ago, you know, where are we at now? Thankfully, uh, thankfully, um, this uh, this law came out. Now, I say thankfully, this is uh, this is kind of criminal here now. This is kind of criminal, and I'm I'm going to have to jump into another piece here after this. But um, so this is no longer in effect. Uh, thank God, this is from August 14th, 1974, right? So this is several years later. Here, um, this was uh, officially changed. So this says to provide for increased participation in the United States in the International Development Association, and to permit United States citizens to purchase hold, sell, or otherwise deal with gold in the United States or abroad. The International Development uh, Association Act is amended by adding at the end thereof the following new section. So it talks about adding a couple of sections to this act, um, but down here um, in section two, it's it's adding these changes. Um, it says no law in effect on the date of enactment of this act. Okay, so from, from this date, right, which is August 14th, 1974, uh, no, no, uh, what does it say? No law in effect may be construed to prohibit, which is funny, may be construed as if it's being twisted to say, 
that you can't hold gold. That that document that we just looked at was very explicit, right? It was like, this is exactly what you can and cannot do, right? So yeah. it's weird that it says construed, but maybe construed to prohibit any person from purchasing, holding, selling, or otherwise dealing with the gold in the United States or abroad. Um, okay. And then it says here, uh, on December 31st, 1974, the president finds and reports to Congress that international monetary reform shall have proceeded to the point where elimination or regulation or uh, sorry, where elimination of regulation on private ownership of gold will not adversely affect the United uh, States international monetary position. So thankfully, uh, this law comes out, which is what public law 93374 that comes out and uh, and it officially ends that which is good. And I think, I think that my history is right there. I'm, I'm not like a million percent sure, but I'm pretty sure that's when that deal ended. Thank God. Right. What do you I think? Mean, uh, what do you think of that up to this point? Or, I mean, or, more like, crazy. or more like federal reserves created 1913. They mess up their own currency within 20 years. They take all your sound money to back it. We go through a 40 year period, right? 41 year period before that bill where basically the government monopolized gold. The United States government said all gold is all ours. Then in 1971 say, yeah, we don't do the gold standard anymore. Uh, and then three years later they go, well, Hey, yeah, if you want to own gold now, we don't care. We don't monopolize it anymore. It's not what we want because we have such, because they, do you think like back in 1971 that our government felt that we had the economic the military, just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you feel like they felt like they were like, ah, well, we can pretty much do anything we want to anybody. So let's just make money. We don't need to hold sound money anymore. They knew in 1971 that if they got us off a gold standard, it would ultimately benefit central authorities and more wealthy people. Do you think they knew that? Do you think it's just by coincidence that it's like, give us your gold, now have it back, like when they just don't care anymore? Because they literally didn't recognize the gold standard anymore. So maybe it has value, but it has value. Gold technically after 1971, even to this day now, has as much value as Beanie Babies, really. It's only who will pay you something for it. And and there's, I guess, you know, utility, jewelry, whatever. But really, since 1971, there's no no real economic or monetary reason to have it as a nation state or like, you know, you want dollars up until, I guess, now, because now you don't really want dollars. You know, we're not really supposed to say that, guys, but you don't want dollars now. Other countries don't want them. It's a, it's inflating. It's inflating everything else. I'm just yeah. wondering, do you think they knew like back then? Like, do you think they knew that, you know, they were monopolizing sound money and then they went to war with Vietnam and they said, yeah, screw it. Everybody can have gold. Even so much so, even so much so, Nick, think about this. Okay, now you can own gold. Well, how can they generate revenue to continue to do their do the stuff that they're doing? Asked people to buy it. They haven't had it for 41 years. Sell it. You are the world's largest holder of gold. Now it's not worth anything to you because if you know that you change the monetary policy to your dollar, now you sell all this gold, maybe in treasury bonds, gold bonds, whatever, to increase the value of your dollar. Yeah, I don't know if they're that smart, but they they did it pretty seamlessly. And now look where we're at now. Like they strengthened the dollar to the point where the United States has been the biggest superpower the world has ever seen. It's not even really that close. I mean, we yeah. dominate everything. Uh, I don't know. I'm just saying, like, do you think they knew all of that? Like, do you think, you know, like, so those are some, like, 
that's some pretty monopolistic, uh, authoritarian dictatorship type uh, plays. If I'm being honest, like you monopolize oh, yeah. a commodity and then you give it up, and then you, <laughs> and then you basically try to monopolize a new commodity, which would be the dollar. I don't know. That's how I see it. Like after you read it, that's that's kind of what I was thinking, dude. I, I don't know how. I don't know how as a government because you know we we've talked about the idea of time preference of money um, several times at this point. Um, you know, the higher your time preference is, the more you think about today and less about tomorrow. The lower your time preference is, the more you think about tomorrow and a little bit less about today, right? And uh, and I truly believe, uh, based on what I've read and what I've uh, listened to, what I've looked at, that the the lower your time preference is, the better the future seems to be, right? The more that I'm able to think about the future and discount today and save for the future, man, that seems like that's got, that holds a ton of weight, right? Um, and this, I, I think this is a great argument whenever you think about, um, when you think about the ESG impact of Bitcoin, right? Uh, all the All the climate change people that are talking about, Oh, Bitcoin uses so much power for this and that and this and that. It's like, okay, well, what are we really protecting though, right? Um, before we get too far off track on, here. I have to say something on at that point because I saw okay, a great hit it, tweet. Hit it. I saw a great tweet this week. It was just because something consumes energy doesn't mean it has carbon emissions. Just saying. So just because Bitcoin consumes a lot of energy doesn't mean that it's producing carbon. It's actually taking you out of the atmosphere if you pay hmm. attention. So mm. the whole ESG thing, you know what I'm saying? Like I just saw that this week yep. and I was like, that's way to basically kill all the ESG FUD with like two sentences. Just because something has energy doesn't mean that it's producing carbon. Doesn't mean that it's bad for the environment, you know, yeah. just because it's producing energy. Which is which is wild, right? Because you, again, like we were talking about earlier, you know, what can the government do, right? I mean, the, the main question that we're looking at here is to what extent will the U.S. government go get, uh, will, will they go to to get your Bitcoin, right? I mean- Again, it's it's uh, construing right to actually use yeah. that word correctly. Construing the the motives, right? What's actually happening, and, and really the motive of why? Why is this happening? Okay, this is happening. Yeah, this is happening. But oh, what if I have control to twist this knob and twist that knob and pull this lever, and it looks like that guy's doing it, not me? Uh, no, guys, no, that's not how this works. You can't do that. <laughs> You can't do that, man. So oh. before we get too far off topic here, so I I, uh, I got to jump back in here. So this is the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. Um, I don't know the exact month here, but right if we if we go back here and we look at this deal, this is 1933. Mm -hmm. This is the Gold Act, uh, the the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. So we're somewhere right around a year later, right? Okay, so um, we're going back in time right now. No, we're going. We're going. Forward, we went from right? 1933 to 1974. Now this article is 1934. Correct. Yep. Correct. So, so this Gold Reserve Act um, then comes back in and and uh, and establishes gold as, as a um, as a, as a reserve asset, right? So, um, and I haven't finished reading through this sucker. We've I've gotten a little ways into it, but uh, listen to some of this them. stuff here. Um, to protect the currency system of the United States to provide for the better use of the monetary gold stock of the United States and for other purposes. Uh, this is going to be called the Gold Reserve Act of 1934. 
Um, and then section two here says, uh, let's see. So this piece, I, I tried to, I tried to chase down in the Federal Reserve Act, dude. Some of this stuff is there's like hundreds and hundreds of pages. So some of this stuff is kind of hard to track down. But um, all gold so transferred, not in the possession of the United States, shall be held in custody for the United States and delivered upon the order of the Secretary of the Treasury. Um, shall take uh, such action as may be necessary to assure that gold shall be so held and delivered. Um, skipping down here, every Federal Reserve Bank shall maintain gold certificates or lawful money of not less than 35 per centum, which is just percent, 35 percent against its deposits. So at this time, we're not all the way at the 10 percent fractional fractional banking. This seems to show. Right. Um, and, and so I haven't quite found exactly what I'm getting at here, but I do have an article pulled up. Uh, so I know it's it's I, what I've seen is that it's somewhere in here. I, this is where I left off was right here in uh, part six here of what section is this? section is this three section two so part six is section two um so i've not gotten all the way to to what i'm looking for but i did uh, i did find this article here and i got to show you this um so in this article here can you see my screen mm -hmm. okay so right here this says uh section two and this is the federal reserve history website i, I don't I, org i don't know if this is a good website i hope it is but um so this talks about some of the history of the gold reserve act of 1934 so listen to this section two of the act transferred ownership of all monetary gold in the united states to the u.s treasury what the fuck is that huh monetary gold including all included all coins and bullion held by individuals and institutions including the federal reserve in return, individuals and institutions uh, received currency at the rate of $35 per ounce of gold. Now listen to this here. This is where this shit really gets wild. This rate reduced the gold value of the dollar to 59% of the value set by the Gold Act of 1900, which equaled $26 and $27, uh, $20, $20, sorry. I'm going to get twisted up here and slow down, which equaled $20 and 67 cents per ounce. Right. If, if you recall, right, that's what they paid for each ounce of gold that was given uh, during the, uh, the, that executive order that was signed in 1933, just a year prior to this, that rate had prevailed until the spring of 1933 when Roosevelt administration began its campaign to devalue the dollar. Um, now let me see here. Uh, I think it's somewhere in here. It talks about um, exactly what I'm looking for. Either way, we see it in 1934. They've now they've now pegged $35 an ounce for gold, right? But they bought it. They bought it, right? This is somewhat of a forced exchange. I don't know if I'd quite say bought, but they bought gold a year later, a year prior. At twenty dollars and sixty-seven per ounce. Do the quick math here. How much profit is that per ounce of gold that was returned? What's that? Uh, Fourteen dollars and thirty-three cents. No. Fourteen thirty-three. Fourteen thirty-three. Dude. Holy shit. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly how many ounces of gold were turned in, 
but uh, that seems like a pretty decent return. Yeah, so I just want to get it straight in my head. So the Gold Act of 1900 isn't the same thing as the 1933 uh, executive order, essentially? Like, what was the Gold Act of 1900? Hey, that's a great topic for another episode, and I'd love to break it down. So see, yeah, they, I mean, that's what they, we did. The, the interesting part about um, looking at these articles is, is they there's a lot of reference to other things that have happened so far, right? Where it's, okay, this this happened in here, and, and we're going to make this amendment change to this law in this section and this part of the section, whatever, right? So then you're like, okay, well, what is that? Got to yeah. go find out what that is. And so, uh, dude. This stuff goes for freaking miles. You know, one of the one of the recent things I've been trying to look into is, you know, whenever Nixon in 71, he decides that he's going to officially take us off the gold standard. Okay. Do you know how much documentation there is about this? I have no idea. I can't find it. I've looked yes. around. I can't find it anywhere. There's no official. I haven't seen. I haven't been able to find yet. There's got to be something. The executive order saying you don't recognize the, the gold official documentation anymore. of it. What were you saying? Gold stand. The Gold Standard Act was an act of the United States Congress signed by President McKinley, and effective on March 14, 1900, defining the United States dollar by gold weight and requiring the United States Treasury to redeem American paper currency in gold coin only. So basically. The 1900 Gold Act was just one dollars one ounce of gold. That's what was enacted, like one for one, and yeah. that's that's it. So I guess like in 1933, after everything that had happened, the dollar, like they they said in that article, they were like to devalue the dollar, but the dollar was probably not very valuable. So that feels like misinformation from their direct site because the if the dollar. From 1900 to 1933, everything happens, right? The boom of the 20s, the Great Depression, World War One. The dollar is valuable then or is not valuable? You know what I'm saying? Because it's weird how that website was – it's a website from the Federal Reserve and then we're reading these articles from way back when. And the articles in what they actually tell you are different, which is why me and Nick are here. And really, shout out to Nick. I think everybody in the world should thank Nick for starting to read these things because this is kind of what we're – gearing these you know podcasts to more now because you got to read the fine print because they're getting they're getting this country in the fine print and just right there it feels a little bit weird that they'd say on the website oh want to devalue the dollar by only letting you have it Mm, it sounds like they were trying to really strengthen the dollar really if you think about it so um i don't know i just think it's super interesting how we go from like one dollar you can only redeem for like the same weight in gold or what have you 1933 take it away 1934 seems like we need to continue on that 1934 gold reserve act because it seems like there's a lot in there 120 pages that'll be fun yeah and then 1974 like it's just crazy it's just crazy like that period of time is nuts it doesn't make any sense and if you know anything like the s&p didn't reach an all-time high from 1932 to 1952. So there's a 20-year technically bear market if by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, another piece um, that I just posted on our Twitter um, the other day was I, I was going through and reading, um, I guess it was 
here, here you go. I'm sharing my screen here. So it, it, it was from the Gold Reserve Act of 1934, which we were just looking at. So in the long form content, um, they had they had a lot of other stuff in it, right? It, it wasn't just the it, it wasn't just the bill that was being proposed. Um, they they showed all the minutes of who all was talking and what they were talking about. And man, I, I didn't read I didn't read the vast majority of it. Uh, but some of the pieces that I did read, dude, it was crazy. So I'm going to have to break that down a little bit further. But look at this. This is in 1934. And these were some of the things that they were that they were posting and looking at. So I'm just going to zoom in here on this deal. Or I don't know, maybe maybe I can't quite zoom in on it. But anyways, so part one here, what they're showing here is that uh, we're looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Stock Average. <clears throat> and they priced it in dollars. And then they priced it in gold. So uh, so one a right here, right here, this point is the Dow Jones priced in dollars in 1933 ish, almost 1934 looks like. So it looks like somewhere around June 1933. Okay, so there's the dollar price of the Dow Jones. One b right here, that's the do- that's the gold value of the Dow Jones at the same time. Right. That, how strange is that? Right. I wonder why there's this divergence. Okay. So part two. Um, this is talking about the Department of Labor Index of Wholesale Commodity Prices. So I, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I would assume that this is the uh, 1933 version of the CPI, right? I, I would think that that's what this is. I'm not 100% sure, but either way, it's a wholesale commodity price index of sorts. Um, and they price this one also in dollars and gold. So part 2A, right, here is the wholesale commodity price in dollars okay and part 2b says the wholesale commodity prices in gold is right here look at that i mean this is this this is happening exactly the same with bitcoin prices as well whenever you start pricing whenever you price the uh um the world whenever you price the s&p 500 in dollars what is it done we we can see it right we see it every single week in the in the market check it's going up. It's always going up. It might come down a little bit and then it's going up again. Right. Yep. That's that's what's happening. You price the S&P in Bitcoin. It doesn't doesn't quite look the same. Right. It doesn't quite look the same at all. Um, yep. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to um, referring back to our uh, our inflation conversation last week. Um, I was with my soon to be father in law talking about uh, inflation and we were looking at we were watching um, Michael Saylor with uh what's the freaking fox guy what's the fox guy he was on the show Tucker. Tuck, yeah tucker carlson i was watching that tucker carlson episode whenever michael saylor came on and they're talking about everything bitcoin and um oh where was i going with that i think i lost my train of thought no, there. you're good i have a really interesting thought here so let's hear it let's hear it a lot of bitcoin maximalists want a Bitcoin standard to the fullest, meaning it's the medium exchange, store value, all of that. America is the most robust economy the world's ever seen. Pretty unarguable. It's the biggest economy in the world's ever seen. I mean, the things that we've been able to do, even since they've done, you know, diluted our money, yada, yada, but also create basically the the craziest fintech country the world has ever seen. Like finance is what drives this world. Right now, credit, drives the world how in the bitcoin world you know are we going to be able to i'm just sitting here thinking i'm sure there's a way but how in a bitcoin standard 
Um, is everything going to be priced? Um, how are you able to grow an economy without inflation? Is that possible? Is that why they did this? Do you know what I'm saying? Because maybe gold wasn't scalable. Like we say, Bitcoin's layer one isn't scalable. So is the Lightning Network going to give Bitcoin the ability to be scalable in a way that gold wasn't? That's just kind of what I'm sitting here thinking because it's interesting how, you know, if we're not, if, if I'm sitting here honestly and going, okay, maybe they're not the worst people in the world and they're just trying to figure out a way to, you know, spread wealth, not actually deter it. Maybe they're not as cynical as I think and they just aren't, you know, it's just a very hard science to figure out. Um, but the reason for more dollars, you know, things being, oh, I trade my stock and you get more dollars is because they want you to take those dollars and go spend them everywhere and then just keep this economy churning. So, you know what I'm saying? So like, is that the reason they did it? Maybe, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. And we're just, they're just not smart enough to see why printing money is really bad. Or are they, did they know what they were doing and creating an inflationary environment where, the economy grows. It's just that it seems like in an inflationary environment, things grow too fast. You know, like it just grows way faster than it should. And then it has to come back and correct back down. That's why we have like all these, uh, the volatility is high. Maybe in a gold standard, the volatility is like nothing, you know, like stocks wouldn't go up and down as much. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying like, I don't know what they did before 1900 uh, because 1900 is effectively what the lightning network is right now. The Bitcoin network is essentially, they acknowledge the Lightning network. It is fully integrated. So we can use Lightning. We can trade Bitcoin on Lightning and then put it down to our layer one, effectively making it scalable. Even potentially on the Lightning network, you can add shit coins onto it and then base it on Bitcoin and make it scalable that way. But, you know, I'm seeing some parallels here. And obviously Bitcoin, even in this world, would be much different than a central authority controlling it. But what they do before 1900? Was our economy was it could was our economy like wanting to grow faster than we were like able to let it on a gold standard? Uh, I'm just wondering, just sitting here like, you know. And then, what would you give your Bitcoin? Fuck no, Nick. I would never give my Bitcoin to the government. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking out loud because it's really interesting. Like, I'm trying to think of it. You know, this whole podcast I've come up to like, okay, they're cynical. Like, why would they monopolize? gold and then demon like basically de- demonetize gold effectively and make it like a beanie baby like i was saying um but maybe they thought there was a reason maybe they didn't see how the world could scale without dollars being attached to gold and then in 1971 they said yeah we need to grow like even more because we have grown in the last 50 years if there's this major recession we go to a bitcoin standard i don't think we fall below like 1965 highs, you know what I'm saying? I think we somehow come out higher than that. But like, where are we really at? I think it's a fair question. You know, anybody, anybody's guess, because based on that chart you just showed us, things priced in gold and a lot of things priced in Bitcoin, they're not, they're not as high as they should be right now. The average home price would not be $515,000 in America today if we were on a Bitcoin standard. Even if we were on a gold standard, it wouldn't even be close to that high. Um, is that a yeah. good thing? Is it a bad thing? You know, there's a lot, this is economics, but um, for sure, just, just what I was thinking over here when you were reading it. It's good, man. Well, Hey, I thought that was a, a pretty interesting read there. Whenever I jumped through that, um, I appreciate you guys for listening. I don't know if we had any live listeners today or viewers today. Hopefully we did. I don't know, Griff. I think it would be kind of fun if we had a little live every once in a while, 
um, where everybody could kind of hop on. And I think uh, I think with uh, StreamYard here that we're using, if you guys are you know doing a podcast of your own, this is actually the first time we're using StreamYard. I'm happy with it. I think uh, I think I do want to move our over. On we that, have one live listener on right now. Corner. I'm watching myself. <laughs> Are you watching? You're watching it live? Gotta love it. So I think I want to move the logo, our logo that's up. I think it's that way. Up there. Right I want to move that yeah. down a little bit. But either way, thank you guys for listening again. Um, this is the 16th episode. Um, juiced to uh juiced to uh be on here again with you guys. Um Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you following on Twitter. Um, if you if you're not watching on Spotify, you can see us on YouTube. It is um, the Nick and Griff show with an ampersand, a- ampersand, whatever it is. The 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 and sign. You know what I'm talking about. It's on YouTube. Come watch us on YouTube. You can watch us also on Spotify, and you can listen to us on all the major platforms. So uh, appreciate you guys listening. Today is April 9th. It's 1:32 p.m. You guys go hammer out the rest of the week, all right? Let's get it.